So I want to start the message today with a few pictures about Timmy. And um, he's a great kid and we love him. Um, But I'm going to use him for a point today. And I didn't ask for his permission, but I don't know if he would even know what I was asking if I did ask him. So we're just going to go with it. How does he look right there? Happy or sad? Pardon? A little confused? Yeah, that's a sad face for, for, the little, for the little tyke. This is a while ago, maybe a couple years ago, three years ago. Um, here's another one. He looks pretty sad there. Eh? A little let down, discouraged. There is a face of somebody who has just heard bad news, if I've ever seen one. What? Here's the face of somebody hoping for a way out. Well, you know what I mean? Look at what, what about... Uh... And here's the face of disappointment about hearing some more bad news when their way out didn't work. So we'll just look at these. Now, you, you look at these faces. This young guy looking so sad. Don't you just want to rescue him? Don't you just want to wrap him in your arms and make the sad go away? What if I told you all of these sad faces were the direct result of Timmy's parents? Aren't you mad at them now? (laughs) Aren't you kind of devising what you're going to do to that guy in the parking lot later? Make a cute little tyke like this? Look, Look so sad. Well, just to let you into our world... And what's really going on, you might notice from... I'm going to find one of these pictures. Hopefully it shows it. Oh, I broke it. Can we reload it? Well, if you looked closely at those pictures, you may have noticed that Timmy's sweats are riding a little low in the back. Okay? And the scoop was, is that Timmy was not happy with being required to pull his pants over the diaper bunch at the back. So right now he was kind of looking like he was just like a thug with the (laughs) underpants showing, but it doesn't work for him. So he was being required to get the pants over the diaper up to his lower back on his own. I can't believe you're asking me to pull my pants up on my own. You're hurting my feelings because you're asking me to pull my pants up on my own. I feel so hurt and rejected that you're asking me to pull my pants up on my own. Well, mommy, if you won't do it, can I ask somebody else to pull my pants up for me? No? I can't believe you won't let someone else pull my pants up for me. That was the reality of this. Because Timmy, for his entire life, had somebody else putting his pants on for him. He's how old there, maybe? Four? Three? Three or four? So for his entire life, somebody else was slapping on the dibbity diaper and pulling up his pants for him. And he was in the process of, you know, he's old enough, learning to pull his own pants up. 
And he had gotten to the point of being willing to pull his pants up at the front, but because of muscle tone issues, not excited about the back. And he, he was being taught to get the fingers under there and curl and hoik. But Timmy is smart. And Timmy knows every new skill he learns, he's going to be required to do for the rest of his life. And that other people aren't going to do for him anymore. And Timmy has this sixth sense about maximizing how much stuff other people will do for him. He had this thing that some people call learned helplessness. Or just over time, you get used to not doing things for yourself. And that becomes part of who you are and part of your identity. And when someone comes along and says, yeah, you actually can hike your, your sweats over your diaper bump. You can feel sad. You can feel hurt. You can feel judged. You can feel like you need to despair. You can feel unloved. And it can all be a lie. But you've just learned helplessness. And when someone won't do for you what you now can do for yourself, you can feel like it's a big problem. So today I want to just talk about a message called Learned Helplessness Versus... It skipped by me. Versus learned hopefulness. Okay? See the two worldviews here? Learned helplessness. Children, Christians, adults, getting it into their head that the way things are is all there ever could be versus a lifestyle of going in the Lord Constant growth is who I am until I see him face to face. Learned hopefulness. No matter what's going on, there can be hope. Or, whatever happens, it's the end. Father God, would you help me be a good messenger of your word and help us together. Now, one of the reasons I'm, I'm burning about this just a little bit and... Um, It's not just because this is one of the last three messages I'm going to do until late summer, but it is true, and when you feel like there's less options, then you feel a bit more intense about what you're going to say. But um, with all the weird stuff that's happening and still happening, I get more and more questions about, like, do you think this is the end times, and do you think that the central bank digital coin is like the mark of the beast, or... um, People getting really excited about getting microchips put in their wrists so that they can buy their Starbucks with their their wrists. You know, there's advertisements. People, it's so exciting. My whole life is in the palm of my hand. And now the government can track me everywhere I go. And people are getting excited about this, which is only just like putting your cell phone under your skin, honestly, except you can't get texts. Or maybe you could. You could get the chip in there, and then you have the smartwatch and the chip in the watch. Okay. I'm sure someone's working on this already. But there can be more and more concern that this is the end. But what I don't always see in my heart is an appropriate biblical excitement and growing confidence in the Lord the worse things get. 
in my heart and sometimes in others, I don't see, uh, wow, things are getting worse. This is great. Feeling, which is an appropriate biblical response to things being bad. Instead, we can despair, get discouraged, want to run away, want to hide, want to go bunker style. And I think too often this can be because we have learned helplessness in our faith. If we don't get that invite into the school, it's great. But like that's what our sister was talking about with the invites. In our hearts, we're already so given up on the schools, we don't even go anymore. That's a learned helplessness. I, how can I ever get my pants over my diaper? Uh, uh. And I see it in my heart, and I see it in us. We are so ready to be triggered into despair at every news headline. But that's not who we are in Christ. And so I'm just kind of, I'm hoping for us, for a learned hopefulness. That we would begin to remember that our faith started with 120 persecuted believers hiding out in a room in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. And it has gone around the world, and it's the most translated book, and there's like a billion or more of us. We are winning, and we started with nothing and totally hated, and now we're winning. And, and Christians throughout history have just kind of always done, that. oh, this is the end, and then we spread around the world more. And, oh, we're losing everything, and then Africa gets saved. Oh, we, we're going to, this is the end, and then all of China gets saved. And it, I just, we need to learn. This isn't the end. And one day it will be the end, but Jesus told us he would rather have us surprised when he shows up while we're busy about the kingdom than us being right about the timing while we're misbehaving. In fact, he did warn us that if we're misbehaving when he shows up, even though we get the timing right, he's going to treat us like unbelievers. But if we're busy about the kingdom and it's like, oh, you're back, you get a reward. So... As a not naturally hopeful person, I hope to be more hopeful when this is over. So let's, let me give you two worldviews for your life. The first one is the more hopeful one. Now we've been in the book of Colossians a bit, and so I'm just going to keep this Colossian things rolling a bit. It's mostly for me. I hope you're blessed, but this is totally selfish. I just like this book. But we've been reading about Colossians and about how Jesus is so huge. He's the creator of everything and he's the first one back from the dead. And so he's preeminent in every way and he's totally united with us. And so everything that's true about Jesus is true about us. He's raised from the dead, so we're raised from the dead. He was circumcised, so we're circumcised. He's alive, so we're alive. He's sitting in heaven, so we're sitting in heaven. And we have this super huge unity with him, which results in us already partaking in a resurrection life. But if you go to the beginning of this book, this book really starts with a prayer. And when you read prayers in the New Testament, you can, you can actually just think about yourself, for yourself, these prayers are the Father's wish for me. The Apostle Paul, writing by the Spirit, is praying for something to happen in believers. 
And so you can assume that God wants this to happen in us as believers. This is God's will. And so I've kind of numbered it as five different things as I've broken it down. But I'm just going to read this. And I want you to hear this as God's hope-filled life for you. This is what God wants to do in me. This is what he wants to do in you. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you, asking that one, you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. And from there it goes and says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things were created through Him, whether visible or invisible, blah, blah, blah. It goes on from there. But this prayer, this compact prayer, I've just kind of broken out five ways you can look at this. But this is what God wants for you. And remember, he's writing 2,000 years ago to this not super well-known city of Colossae who maybe had, what, 100 Christians in it? Maybe 200 Christians in it? It was a brand new church, the first church that had ever happened. You've got to imagine that these are small gatherings of people. You can think in your head, well, it's the Bible, so there must have been like 500,000. It must have been huge. No, it's just a letter to a beginning church. And he's praying according to God's will for these things, that they would just be filled up with supernatural spiritual wisdom, to understand what's going on and what their lives mean and how their lives count and what Jesus is up to and how to live in the Spirit. That they'd have these lives that are bearing fruit, fully pleasing to him. That you're accomplishing things and getting kingdom work done and being fruitful and not being a wastrel. That you be increasing in the knowledge of God. Not everybody knows everything you can know about God yet. Amen? Even some of you folks been in church your whole life. I do the math sometimes. You know what? 70 years times 50 weekends. 3,500 church events seems like a lot there's still so much more and this is what many people are looking for being strengthened so that you can have joy going through stuff you need to endure and if you're wondering like because sometimes we can think in our head if it doesn't feel so awesome and everything's easy all the time i must be cursed if it doesn't feel so awesome and everything's easy all the time i must be forsaken no Normal is having things you need to endure with patience. But God's will for us is to have strength so that we can do it with joy. While we give thanks to the Father who's just adopted us. This is a normal Christian life. This is a hopeful life. Writing to people who, for them, persecution would have been normal. Like real stuff. Like the worshipers of Aphrodite showing up at their place to to knock down whatever they're working on and everybody getting fired for being worshipers of Jesus. Like, like real, real hard times. And Paul is just full of hope for them. Just like I'm, I'm full of hope for you.
And then we can just, so then we have the moment of self-quiet reflection. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Is this normal for me? That I really believe that every day I wake up into a day where God can give me spiritual wisdom about what to do. Every day I wake up into a day where I can produce fruit that pleases Jesus. That every day I wake up into a day where I can learn more about my all-powerful, glorious God. That every day I can I wake up into a day where I can have the strength to get through this day with all of its curveballs and potential disappointments and heartaches with some kind of supernatural joy in God. And every day I can give thanks to the Father for what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do. That, that's, and if that's not normal, we need to learn some hopefulness. That's what I'm trying to say. We can learn some hopefulness. The alternative for us is life in the victimocracy. I like making up words. You're welcome. Somebody, you're probably already... You know, there is someone smarter than me in the world. I'm sure there is. I've paid the guy the 20 grand to take them out online, and so they won't be alive long. Because you've got to be the best at something. But... Um, no matter what. <laughs> oh, I'm off the rails now. Okay, whatever. So, life in the victimocracy. And I think this is a good description of kind of what normal is apart from Christ this day. And this is the rule of those who are officially our greatest victims in our culture. Ocracy just means like strength in Greek, and victim is, well, English. And this is kind of how our culture runs. Who are the greatest victims? Because they're the victims, because they're oppressed, they need the most governmental and social and financial support in order to get revenge or or promotion against their oppressors. And they end up being elevated to the place of prestige or um, influence. So you've got these elites that kind of want to control everything. And they know that if they can find the right victims, they can use them as mascots to manipulate the culture to kind of get what they want. They don't actually love the victims, but they can use them socially to get what they want done, to get even more power and money for themselves. But this is kind of how our culture works. Have you noticed this in action anytime? And we talked about this months ago about the intersectionality thing where you have all these boxes, racial boxes, money boxes, heritage boxes, uh, sexual identity boxes, and wherever you check on there, you end up with a kind of like victimhood score. And the higher you are up the score, the more you should get for nothing. And the more evil whoever opposes you is. Does that make sense? Right? The more victimhood points you have, the higher up the scale and the more you should get for nothing. And the more evil anybody who disagrees with you is. So, I I don't vouch for him, but got to talk about Elon Musk every once in a while. Again, used to be this totally left-wing guy who just kind of wanted to save the planet with solar power and electric cars. And all of a sudden, he's been called this like right-wing Nazi guy. Because he bought Twitter and was just like, why don't we let people say what they want to say on Twitter? 
And he's trying to process, how did I become right wing? Well, he just didn't change. And the scale is, because how a victimocracy works is you always, all groups are in competition to be the greatest victim because there's the most money and power and influence for that victimhood. So there's nonstop competition to become that group because then you end up at the top of the food chain and you can get the most stuff and get away with the most stuff. But in order to exist in this culture, you need to become completely obsessed with your hopelessness and what, with what's going wrong with you. It needs to be who you are to be helpless because you can convert helplessness into social capital. Even if it isn't real helplessness, you can convert perceived oppression, you can just start calling it genocide, even when it isn't a genocide, and there are such things as real genocide, but you can just start calling it a genocide even when it isn't, because you can convert that feeling of victimhood into amazing social capital. So, a for instance might be, you may have heard like a few weeks ago, there was a shooting at a Christian school in Nashville, three staff and three students were killed by somebody who identified as transgender, And the White House's official response was, we stand with transgender people, they're made in the image of God. So they actually took Christian scripture to use to support the movement that resulted in the violence. Because they run, the elites are running a victimocracy, and they use victims as mascots to promote their own agenda even to the point of supporting, like, these elites are the ones who decide what kind of social violence is acceptable and what kinds must be stopped. And when you're in the victimhood status, one of the things you get is to be publicly violent without consequence. So you just watch. You see who gets to do public violence without consequence. They are the ones at the top of the social pecking order. And then you see other people do maybe respond to it or do similar acts. And if they go to jail, you know they're farther down the pecking order. But what I'm trying to say is that the air we breathe and the water we drink is saturated with the call to glorify our helplessness and our hurts and our discouragement and our sense of being attacked and oppressed. We're, we're supposed to absorb this and become obsessed with ourselves in these areas because it should turn into social capital. The problem is the cost is that you're miserable. And even when you get the social capital and the money comes in and the clicks start happening and you get invited to things, you're still miserable. Because hopelessness takes you out of the competition, or hopefulness takes you out of the competition. People who are hopeful aren't, aren't playing this game. And you can actually like lose friends by being hopeful in our culture. I've noticed, just as I try to absorb all information and know all things from all perspectives, which is part of how my personality runs, I'm really making fun of myself right there. Um, all I, 
All I admitted to is I spent too much time on Twitter. That's all I admitted right there. But the word narcissist has now become very commonly used in our culture. Has anybody known this? There's, there's fads. There's waves, right? There's waves, especially where people are doing like online self-diagnoses or more likely online diagnosing your family members kind of stuff. You know what I mean? There's waves where things become popular to like label each other with. And narcissist is the big one right now. But I think there is some truth in it, where everyone's like, you're a narcissist. No, you're a narcissist. No, you're a narcissist. No, you're a narcissist. And it comes from this story from uh, Greek mythology about this guy named Narcissus, who was super hot. And he was like one of those dudes who had to, um, you know, FaceTime all his workouts at the gym you know, shave everything, oil everything. He was a total Chad with the chin implants. And <laughs> I managed to say total Chad in a message. <laughs> Bucket list kicked. <laughs> Anyhow, the story of Narcissus was he was so infatuated with his own good appearance that he wasn't even interested in girls. And one day he saw his own reflection in a river and he loved it so much that he just stayed there staring at his own reflection in a lake or river or whatever it was until he died. Because that became the greatest part of his life was to see himself. In our culture, we have normalized people who watch themselves displaying too much emotion and then posting it on TikTok or Instagram. And I, because if you watch it, you can think, well, they're talking to me, right? They made this video. They're talking. They're not talking to you. They're watching themselves cry. Or watching themselves yell, it's Trump, it's Trump. You know, they're, they're watching themselves go crazy on their own phones. And then they stop, and then they edit themselves until they're like, yeah, yeah. And so I've stopped watching. When people are like yelling at a fo- video, I'm just like, I started realizing they're performing for themselves in this. And sometimes you can even catch them. They're like, oh, I'm so upset. And then they go, because they kind of like what they see. Wow, I looked really upset there. But it's just like, and I think this is why these people are like, wow, there seems to be a lot of narcissists. Yeah, because you can make so much money being obsessed with what you look like on your smartphone. And now every, that's all everybody thinks. No, not everybody, but it's like the culture's moving to where like looking at yourself all the time is considered healthy, normal, how you get famous. I don't even know. But there's like whole careers built on people publicizing themselves, watching themselves be victims. 
And you can feel sad for that because they're never going to become who God made them to be doing that. And neither will I and neither will you. And I just, I feel like part of what the church is being called to in this time is to really embrace the otherworldliness of our faith. We are not of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. And look, I'm not here to to minimize. Some of us have been through horrible things. And I'm not minimizing that at all. At all, at all. Genuine crimes committed against many of us. And all of us just have our daily hurts. I am not minimizing that at all. But there is a sickness in how we do life where we want to turn that into people treating us a certain way instead of getting free or whole or healed or just knowing God in the midst of it. We want to turn it into that social capital of giving ourselves permission to behave in ungodly ways or or permission to attack our perceived enemies or whatever it might be. And that's just not the way of Christ. All right. Ways to practice and learn being hopeful in the kingdom of Jesus. Number one, learning the practice of seeking the Lord. Learning to actually seek Him. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, sorry, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Excuse me. For which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, one of the things as Christians that I think can contribute to our learned helplessness is that we can think all the good stuff we should get from God should happen to us without us having to do anything. God is sovereign, he's in control, and he's good. Why isn't there more stuff happening without me doing anything? There is a little logic in that, because all your premises are true. He is sovereign, like a king reigning over all creation. He is in control even reigning over how all the dice, when you have a board game, a board game, all the cards come out and all the dice come out exactly the way he controls it. It's true. Awkward in application sometimes, but true. And he is good. He is so good that you can spend a hundred billion years with him and feel like you're just getting started with the good. So don't worry about living forever. He is so good. He's going to make it great. But if he has decided that a lot of the good we're going to get from him in this life is going to be the result of asking and seeking and knocking, then that's just the way the world is. And us choosing to not learn the hopeful skill of seeking God is just us setting ourselves up for learned hopelessness. But we're the cause of the problem. So somebody who believes in the hope of God is ready to seek him. We can seek him by prayer. Do you have like a character problem that you just, that's just there? Are you seeking him? Do you start your day off 
God, would you work on my discouragement today? I just confess it's wrong. Your word calls me to to be courageous. I have not received a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You can memorize scripture. You can preach to yourself. You can find topical studies. You can seek the Lord. You can talk to friends. You can use the body of Christ. You can set yourself to persevere for a time. You know, we're such microwave Christians sometimes. I have prayed for 10 whole seconds. Right to the end of the tenth second, even. I was listening to a sermon recently, and it was a pastor talking about someone in his own church. He said, This guy came to us, and he was so depressed. It was all he could do to drag himself to church on Sundays. For eight years, he sought the Lord, and people prayed with him, and during that eighth year, he looked in the mirror one day, and it felt like everything just fell off him. And then he turned into one of the most contributing church members in our church. And I, I listened to that, and I just thought, eight years. That's not as long as it used to feel. And imagine he'd quit in year seven, or year six, or year five. Instead of seeking the Lord. His church would have been a worse place for years. And so church, I think this is something that we can get a hold of more. Is to just ask yourself, have I even sought the Lord about this? Have I prayed? Have I grabbed my wife and prayed about it? (laughs) Stop changing the diapers. (laughs) Stop cooking the dinner. No, keep doing that. Um, After we're done. Like, this is how Christians are meant to walk with God, being ready to seek him for change and not judge him before we've even sought him. Amen? This is a hopeful thing. (gasps) A problem? I can seek the Lord about this. But temptation comes for us to go into despair before it's even time to, before even the deadline's up. And that's how I can be like. As soon as the problem's up, I start meditating on how everything can go wrong, and now I'm going to lose my house, and then I'm going to be like... No, a hopeful servant of Jesus seeks to learn how to seek him. For real, for real, seeking him. Um, I'm going to share this story. I know I'm taking a bit of time, but... You can have three months off from me soon. When, I, when we first moved to Steinbeck, I used to really struggle with discouragement, like really bad. I, don't, I was never diagnosed depressed, but I was bitter of spirit, and it was pretty bad. And it really hurt my wife, it hurt my family. And I remember going out with Andrew Micklefield, who was my mentor at the time, and I was just telling him again something bad I'd done, and I was just sitting there kind of like looking sorry for myself. And... and And he looked at me with this look. And I just felt, I'm sick of seeing him look at me like that. It was a mixture of pity and also of, how much longer are we going to do this? And I was just so sick of seeing him look at me like that. And so I came home from our meeting... And I was just like, I'm going to pray in tongues when you go to bed tonight, to you. I'm just, 
I'm, until something happens, I'm just going to, you're going to go to bed and I'm just going to pray in tongues for a while. And I did it. I don't even know how long it took, but that totally started a trajectory of really starting to beat my discouragement. So I do still deal with it, but it does not own me at all. And I am not letting it make my family's life worse at all. That's on me. But it took me going like, I was walking around the, <laughs> our apartment. I must have kept the kids up a little bit. I was like making thrusting because I just wanted this thing dead so bad. I was just praying times. I was just thing, and it's like there was no. Op- I'm praying this thing off, or or I'm praying this thing off. That's the only option. And it was just like I had to seek the Lord. Amen. Number two, hopeful people can stay on mission. Uh, you cannot control what happens in a day, but you can stay on mission for Jesus in a day. You cannot control how other people are going to respond to you, but you can control whether or not you're going to stay on mission for Jesus, however they respond to you. So here's a scripture about Paul. He's writing to the Galatians. This letter is one of the most important letters in human history. It changed Martin Luther's life, and he went around and changed all of Western culture and hence the world. And he says this, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of all your blessedness? For I testify that if possible, you have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So this is a church planting technique I've never heard of before. It's called church planting by sickness. He's wandering around. His eyes go funky monkey. He can't travel anymore, so he has to stay in one place. And he starts telling people about Jesus, and here's a church. And his eyes were so bad that he's like, you guys thought that I needed an eye replacement. You would have given me your eyes. You were so happy to hear about Jesus. But it's like, talk about an example of someone staying on mission. He's trying to get somewhere else. He's too sick to go on, so he plants a church right there. His plans were wrecked. His mission was accomplished. You can't always get your plans done, but you can always get your mission done. Help me today. The arms are moving. I don't choose the arms. The arms choose me. So whatever. I'm going to stop right now. But this is a hopeful mindset. I can't control the problems, but I can stay on mission for Jesus with the problems. I can't make all my plans come true, but I can stay a servant of Jesus whether or not my plans are working or failing. You, can, you and I can stay on mission for Jesus. So I was in the Emerge last night because I needed a, a, a scripture illustration. Oh, what a goofball. Um, no, I got this weird thing on my body, and I won't even describe it. It's just weird, and it's just so weird that I was like, I should get a doctor to check it out because it's weird. And I'm sitting there being my awesome, shy, introverted self, which I tend to do in every context but here. And uh, Jackie's texting with me and says, oh, yeah, I wonder if you're there for a purpose. Well, some guy came in, and he had a Christian T-shirt on, but he was kind of rattled about something. So I like, well, here it is. And so I went and prayed for him, and then we chatted together and got to know somebody, and I'm trusting that the Lord will help us run into each other. He was new to town and just needed some prayer. 
And uh, it was just a, and then I met the doctor, and the doctor's like, I, I don't know what you have. We should run some tests. And then they ran some tests, and she says, I still have no idea what this is. Just go home and let me know if it gets worse, which I've never had before. But it's just this little thing like, oh, man, this ruined my evening. But I'm, I could still be on mission. You got hope. And number three, we can be slaying our sin. Um, Colossians again. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. I underline that so you can remember it from the first point. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not the things of this earth, and then skipping forward. Therefore put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And to me, this is just a reminder that our character is, is part of the mission. We're not just supposed to plant churches, though we are supposed to plant churches, and we need to. Just draw a line at those beams and rent someplace. And you're, you're the church. Okay, that's not how you do it, but whatever. Some people need to get really bad eyes. And then we'll tr- plant a church in the hospital. But just, our characters do make or break our marriages. Our characters do make or break our walks with Jesus. Our characters do make or break leading something. Our characters are so important. And a hopeful person learns to see that as we're seeking Jesus, part of the reason things go wrong is to expose in our hearts what needs to be changed so that we can have the joy of walking like Christ. And this is hopeful. Um, we can, I can get so discouraged. I think a week or two ago, um, no, it was from last Sunday. Uh, can I tell you another embarrassing story? Yeah, we can still be friends. That's good. Why did they let him up here with all these stories? So we were, um, at the Hope for All Church in our old building last Sunday. And I was really happy because I haven't been really invited to speak at other churches in Steinbach before, and maybe there's a reason, but, um... I was just like, ooh, this is it, and, and I'm hopeful. I, I just long for the, the churches to be more at peace and interacting more in town, as it ought to be. And so I'm super hopeful over there, and I'm preaching, and I'm preaching about being humble, just like I love to do. And during the part about advocating to be humble, I started going off about all the school I'd gotten and all their Bible reading I'd done, and, and I was just trying to convince them, like, I know my Bible. I think it's really important to be humble. And when I... Got down, Jackie, right away. It's like, it's really funny how proud you sounded while you were talking about being humble. <laughs> and, and so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll phone the pastor afterwards. I'll humble myself because it was right. But before I did, I'm just going, God, I'm so tired of humbling myself. I just want a humbling myself vacation, please. I just... But, it's, has anybody ever been tired of working on your character before? Yeah. Or having God work on your character? I know. And you know what the scripture says? Don't let yourself get tired. You're being treated as a son or a daughter because that fruit of righteousness, that changed heart, is worth way more than gold. Both to you and everyone around you. 
So don't lose heart. God's loving us. He's trying to kill the stuff that's killing us. And so we're supposed to say, yes, it just doesn't feel good to the parts of us that need to die anyways. So I phoned that guy, and he's good. And he was like, yeah, I didn't see it that way. I could see how other people could see it that way, but I didn't see it that way. But it was good. It was a nice little interaction. It's always good to humble yourself. But it's a hopeful thing. So just to wrap up, looking at this scripture again, this is a hope-filled This is the hope-filled will for your life, that you would have wisdom in the Spirit. The band can be coming up if you want to do that. That you would learn to walk in such fruitfulness that you can feel God's pleasure with you. That you'd be getting to know God more and more, and that you'd have strength to get through everything He's called you to get through in joy. Giving thanks to the Father. And as we know that this is God's will, we don't have a reason to feel helpless. And we have every reason to not trust that voice inside of us that says quit. As long as you're breathing, as long as you can think the name Jesus, we don't have a valid reason to listen to that voice that says just give up. Because we have a living hope. We can seek the Lord. We can stay on mission. We can slay the sin that needs slaying. I'm going to pray. Father God, would you bless our church? And Lord, where we have had this learned hopelessness as the church, where we feel like there's not enough money or not enough time or not enough government support, Lord, we just give all these reasons and excuses to you. And Lord, we just pray that you would totally set us free to believe to the measure that the resurrected Jesus deserves. I pray that we be a church overflowing with hope, for with what you can do and what you can do through us. Lord, I pray for things like pornography and sexual sin and alcoholism and drug use, Lord, that, that people would be liberated from just feeling in bondage and like this is going to be the rest of their life. That's not true. In Christ, there is hope. And so, Lord, I pray for your life-giving power in our lives. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said...